0: Hey, welcome to Socialism for All. This file is being recorded for the November 2023 edition of Socialism for All, and it's an audiobook and discussion of Karl Marx's letter to Arnold Ruge from September 1843. If you like this video, please click like and subscribe and consider supporting on Patreon or buy me a coffee at patreon.com/socialismforall or buymeacoffee.com/socialismforall. There's links to Patreon and Buy Me a Coffee in the description below. Thanks also to the Marxists Internet Archive, marxists.org, for hosting this and thousands of other free Marxist texts. So you may not have heard of this piece by name. After all, it doesn't really have one, but it is the source of a well-known Marx quote about the ruthless criticism of all that exists. 1843, when Marx wrote this letter, was pretty early in the course of the development of Marx and Engels' scientific socialism, what would become known as Marxism. The Communist Manifesto was still several years away, as was its companion piece, The Principles of Communism, and by the way, if you've ever struggled reading The Manifesto, try Principles of Communism instead, because it's the same information, but written like a frequently asked questions file by Engels. And of course, Capital was more than two decades away at this point. But what we do see is Marx beginning to get a feel for this revolutionary philosophy that he and Engels would eventually develop. The same year, 1843, saw Marx write the introduction to a contribution to the critique of Hegel's philosophy of right, or of law, which also expresses Marx's frustration with the somewhat stalled and contradictory German development, and wondering and theorizing about how that society would change, and coming out with the answer, the theory of proletarian revolution, which would do away with pretty much everything that had been known up to that point in terms of class, unequal society. Remember, of course, that class society is not the natural state of human beings. For most of our existence, like our cousin primates that came before us and still exist today, we were basically hunter-gatherers existing in a state where everyone in the social group needed to contribute their labor or else the entire group might not survive. So it was a very equal society and there wasn't really surplus that people had to haggle over and administrate and, well, class society hadn't emerged yet. But if class society was born and it's now living, how would it die? Well, Marx and Engels' main thesis was that the engine of history was class struggle. That one class would develop rule over the unequal surplus and development. And in the course of administrating its particular lording over society and exploitation, it would change the class composition of that society until a new class came up Its strength changed based on the changed material conditions of that society and of production, and it would overthrow the existing ruling class to become the new ruling class. Well, in the capitalist age in which Marx and Engels found themselves, it seemed that capitalism was creating a large class of dispossessed wage workers, which eventually would constitute the majority, even the overwhelming majority, of society. These proletarians had existed in some numbers in earlier stages of class society as well, but it was only in capitalism that they grew to such huge proportions. Proletarians in capitalism are defined by the fact of owning no capital, productive private property, and therefore would have no interest in perpetuating a system based on privately owned, profit-run, productive property. So Marx and Engels came into this situation bringing with them the philosophical analytical tool of dialectics as developed by earlier philosophers such as Hegel and Feuerbach, and applied it to the existing emerging proletarian or socialist ideology, developing out of these criticisms and improvements dialectical materialism and then specifically historical materialism. So if this proletarian revolution were to occur, which according to Marx and Engels was the most likely next step in the overall historical development after capitalism, what lay on the other side? Huge human potential. The ending of all kinds of exploitation and oppression and a new kind of freedom, the door to which was barred primarily by the hindrance of private property. So here we pick up a relatively young Marx, discussing some of his ideas of what was to come in the future with his comrade Ruge. I am glad that you have made up your mind and ceasing to look back at the past are turning your thoughts ahead to a new enterprise, and so to Paris, to the old university of philosophy, may it not be an ill omen, and the new capital of the new world. What is necessary comes to pass. I have no doubt, therefore, that it will be possible to overcome all obstacles, the gravity of which I do not fail to recognize. But whether the enterprise comes into being or not, in any case I shall be in Paris by the end of this month, since the atmosphere here makes one a surf. And in Germany, I see no scope at all for free activity. In Germany, everything is forcibly suppressed. A real anarchy of the mind. The reign of stupidity itself prevails there. And Zorich obeys orders from Berlin. It therefore becomes increasingly obvious that a new rallying point must be sought for truly thinking and independent minds. I'm convinced that our plan would answer a real need. And after all, it must be possible for real needs to be fulfilled in reality. Hence, I've no doubt about the enterprise if it's undertaken seriously. The internal difficulties seem to be almost greater than the external obstacles. For although no doubt exists on the question of whence, all the greater confusion prevails on the question of whither. Not only has a state of general anarchy set in among the reformers, but everyone will have to admit to himself that he has no exact idea what the future ought to be. On the other hand, it is precisely the advantage of the new trend that we do not dogmatically anticipate the world, but only want to find the new world through the criticism of the old one. Hitherto, philosophers have had the solution of all riddles lying in their writing desks, and the stupid, exoteric world had only to open its mouth for the roast pigeons of absolute knowledge to fly into it. Now, philosophy has become mundane, and the most striking proof of this is that philosophical consciousness itself has been drawn into the torment of the struggle. Not only externally, but also internally. But, if constructing the future and settling everything for all times are not our affair, it is all the more clear what we have to accomplish at present. I am referring to ruthless criticism of all that exists. Ruthless both in the sense of not being afraid of the results it arrives at, and in the sense of being just as little afraid of conflict with the powers that be. Therefore, I am not in favor of raising any dogmatic banner. On the contrary, we must try to help the dogmatists to clarify their propositions for themselves. Thus, communism in particular is a dogmatic abstraction, in which connection, however, I'm not thinking of some imaginary and possible communism, but actually existing communism, as taught by Cabé, Des Amis, Weitling, etc. This communism is itself only a special expression of the humanistic principle, an expression which is still infected by its antithesis, the private system. Hence, the abolition of private property and communism are by no means identical and it is not accidental but inevitable that communism has seen other socialist doctrines, such as those of Fourier, Proudhon, etc., arising to confront it because it is itself only a special, one-sided realization of the socialist principle. And the whole socialist principle, in its turn, is only one aspect that concerns the reality of the true human being. But we have to pay just as much attention to the other aspect, to the theoretical existence of man, and therefore to make religion, science, etc. the object of our criticism. In addition, we want to influence our contemporaries, particularly our German contemporaries. The question arises, how are we to set about it? There are two kinds of facts which are undeniable. In the first place, religion, and next to it, politics, are the subjects which form the main interest of Germany today. We must take these, in whatever form they exist, as our point of departure, and not confront them with some ready-made system, such as, for example, the Voyage en Icarie, by Cabay. Reason has always existed, but not always in a reasonable form. The critic can therefore start out from any form of theoretical and practical consciousness, and from the forms peculiar to existing reality, develop the true reality as its obligation and its final goal. As far as real life is concerned, it's precisely the political state in all its modern forms, which, even where it's not yet consciously imbued with socialist demands, contains the demands of reason. And the political state does not stop there. Everywhere it assumes that reason has been realized. But precisely because of that, it everywhere becomes involved in the contradiction between its ideal function and its real prerequisites. From this conflict of the political state with itself, therefore, it is possible everywhere to develop the social truth. Just as religion is a register of the theoretical struggles of mankind, so the political state is a register of the practical struggles of mankind. Thus, the political state expresses, within the limits of its form as a particular kind of state, all social struggles, needs, and truths. Therefore, to take as the object of criticism a most specialized political question, such as the difference between a system based on social estate and one based on representation, is in no way below the level of principles for this question only expresses, in a political way, the difference between rule by man and rule by private property. Therefore the critic not only can, but must, deal with these political questions, which according to the extreme socialists are altogether unworthy of attention. In analyzing the superiority of the representative system over the social estate system, the critic in a practical way wins the interest of a large party. By raising the representative system from its political form to the universal form, and by bringing out the true significance underlying this system, the critic at the same time compels this party to go beyond its own confines, for its victory is at the same time its defeat. Hence, nothing prevents us from making criticism of politics, participation in politics, and therefore real struggles the starting point of our criticism, and from identifying our criticism with them. In that case, we do not confront the world in a doctrinaire way with a new principle. Here is the truth, kneel down before it. We develop new principles for the world out of the world's own principles. We do not say to the world, cease your struggles, they're foolish. We will give you the true slogan of struggle. We merely show the world what it's really fighting for. And consciousness is something that it has to acquire, even if it does not want to. The reform of consciousness consists only in making the world aware of its own consciousness in awakening it out of its dream about itself, in explaining to it the meaning of its own actions. Our whole object can only be, as is also the case in Feuerbach's criticism of religion, to give religious and philosophical questions the form corresponding to man who has become conscious of himself. Hence, our motto must be reform of consciousness not through dogmas, but by analyzing the mystical consciousness that is unintelligible to itself, whether it manifests itself in a religious, or a political form. It will then become evident that the world has long dreamed of possessing something of which it only has to be conscious in order to possess it in reality. It will become evident that it is not a question of drawing a great mental dividing line between past and future, but of realizing the thoughts of the past. Lastly, it will become evident that mankind is not beginning a new work, but is consciously carrying into effect its old work. In short, therefore, we can formulate the trend of our journal as being, self-clarification, critical philosophy, to be gained by the present time of its struggles and desires. This is a work for the world and for us. It can be only the work of united forces. It is a matter of a confession and nothing more. In order to secure remission of its sins, mankind has only to declare them for what they actually are. All right, and that is Marx's letter to Ruga from 1843, source of the ruthless criticism of all that exists line. So if you like this, I already recommended the other piece, which is the introduction to a contribution to the critique of Hegel's philosophy of right, also available here at Socialism for All, as well as another early Marx work, the German ideology. We've recorded one very long chapter from that here on the channel. Not the entire work, but it's just that one chapter that appears in the basic Marxism-Leninism study guide playlist because it is so key. And I'll share with you right now a little preview one of my favorite quotes, which continues the same train of thought that Marx was expressing in this letter. The quote is, Communism is for us, not a state of affairs which is to be established, an ideal to which reality will have to adjust itself. We call communism the real movement which abolishes the present state of things the conditions of this movement result from the premises now in existence unquote. "so again like ruthless criticism of all that exists and let the chips fall where they may the dawning of self-consciousness and social consciousness leading to massive change the realization of long-held desires we have again this idea of taking what is here analyzing what is analyzing the struggle that's already been going on and through becoming conscious of that being able to direct it, to hold it in your hands, and to realize it fully. All right, what do you think? Leave a question or comment below. We'll continue the discussion in the comment section below. As always, we'll also continue it in the next live stream. We do live streams most Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, and 7 p.m. UTC at twitch.tv slash socialism s4a. You can find that link pretty much anywhere that we're online. But whether you have a major question or major contribution or not, thanks for listening, and thanks to the current patrons and Buy Me a Coffee supporters whose names are on the screen. If you'd like to get your name on the screen, head to Patreon.com/socialismforall or BuyMeACoffee.com/socialismforall. You can sign up for just a few dollars a month or more, or make a one-time donation through Buy Me a Coffee. Every contribution is encouraging. They're also materially helpful. I would make some kind of content even if nobody supported, but those contributions let me spend a lot more time on the channel than I'd be able to otherwise. Socialism for All is ad-free and viewer-supported, and we really appreciate those contributions a lot. Otherwise, whether you're a patron or not, engagement counts, so like, share, subscribe. Even if your comments just thanks or good video. We love to see it. And it helps to boost the video in the channel in the YouTube algorithm, making this content more likely for other workers with questions about society to stumble across it in the future. And it's exactly this kind of mass agitation and education we believe that can lead to the kind of general awakening of the need to get organized out there in the real world that is going to create the change that we need. Capitalism is going into crisis after crisis. We believe it's only going to get worse from here. And the need for people to get involved with their local lefts and start to form adequate proletarian parties is greater than ever. The urgency is very real. Alright, thanks again, and we'll see you in the next video.